0: Please.
1: truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkandstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide to Funk. Shop for official Truth and & Rhythm and & Funk and & Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg@funkinstuff.net. at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. saxophonist, composer, and producer, best known for his contributions to the R&B funk dance band, Crown Heights Affair. Founded in 1967, the band went on to release nine studio albums from 1974 to 1983, with a half dozen reaching the R&B top 50. The group's six top 40 R&B singles included Dreaming a Dream, Every Beat of My Heart, Foxy Lady, Dancing, and Dance Lady Dance. Other acts Gibbs played with include Made in USA, The Strikers, and Zynga. Daryl, thank you so much for joining me. How are you?
0: Well, thank you. I'm uh, feeling good. It's a good Everything's uh, wonderful, man. I can't complain.
1: Oh, so glad to hear. Thank you for carving some time out to join us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Where are you today?
0: Uh, well, I live in Brynysville, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, but you know, as years can go on, I moved to Pennsylvania. Love it here. About an hour and change. Really uh-huh. and, uh
1: huh. And where are you from originally?
0: I'm from Brooklyn. Born and oh. raised.
1: All right. I think maybe we talked about that. I said my 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 uh, parents were from that area too. So, yeah. um but I was the new, the new generation out on the West Coast, but now I'm back on the East Coast, so I'm right there with you. All right. <laughs> so glad we get to talk about Crying Heights Affair, uh, if I can get it out uh, today. Uh, it's certainly a popular group with our audience, and um, you know, one that I think has not maybe gotten as much attention as it should, so we're anxious to shine that spotlight on on that history today.
0: Well, sure, I can do that. You know the, the group is uh, originally from Brooklyn, and that's where it all started. And it started, like you said in, in the late '60s. started with a rhythm section called the New day Express and And that was with uh, the founding leader, William Anderson, the legendary William Anderson. He started the group and we all were in the Bushwick Bed-Stuy area and um, They didn't have horns in in their group. They just had a rhythm section and a singer. Anderson decided one day that he wanted to add horns in the group. And I was one of the the, the guys that name came up. And uh, because I played with uh, a number of bands in the area. So I went down and and auditioned for the band and uh, I made it. So we started something
1: new. And, you know, coming into that situation, you know, were you... um formally uh, trained on saxophone or how did you get into playing a horn
0: well well, i started originally as a violin player in junior high school and uh when i got into high school i decided to switch over to sax because there was nobody knocking my door down for violin players most of my buddies played guitar bass uh, you know uh more macho instruments so i switched over to sax and I, i learned sax it was pretty easy because I already knew how to read music playing violin and everything. So it was just a matter of me learning how to blow.
1: And what was your uh, go-to sax? Was it alto or tenor? or
0: Alto. Alto sax.
1: Yeah. So who are some of your uh, heroes and idols on sax?
0: Well, the, the main person that really inspired me to want to play sax, my father used to take us up to the Apollo all the time up in Harlem. And, uh, he took me one time and they had a Motown review up there. And Junior Walker in the All-Star, even though he played center, um, I loved when he hit that high note and the crowd would go nuts. And I loved that. And I told my dad, I wanna play sax. And I was fortunate enough to switch over when I got into high school. So um, the music programs were more prevalent in those days than they are now. So I switched over and- I was up and I started playing
1: and was music something that uh, you know was big in your household or you know how did you gravitate toward that and why
0: well um my father tried because he bought a piano for my sister my younger brother played trumpet my other brother at that time tried to play trombone and uh, so my father tried to encourage us I used to take my brothers and sisters out to the Jamaica schools of music years ago out in Jamaica, Queens. We used to get on the train and ride out there. And, you know, one by one, though, my brothers and sisters sort of fell away and I stayed with them. So um, that was it. My gave up on everybody else. He uh, wholeheartedly supported me in the music.
1: And what were some of the first gigs you ever did you know playing with a band in front of people
0: well, well we, we started out um, where I grew up in Bushwick there were bands on just about every block every other block had bands so there, there were some venues in the area um, we did a lot of block parties we did birthday parties we did weddings you know things of that nature and we also had a lot of talent shows and um, at, at our Junior high school, high school, um, big Catholic school in our area, was 14 Holy Martyrs, and they had a like a banquet sort of uh, room, and they would have dances on the weekends, things of that nature. So we uh, we all had a chance to play at, at the different venues. Um, my biggest break came came in the late 90s, going into 1970. Um, the band that I was with prior to being with Brown Heights, I was with a band called The Soul Image. And we had a lot of horns and everything. We auditioned for The Cheetah uh, back in those days, which was one of the biggest clubs in New York. And we made it. And we got to play there two, three, four nights a week.
1: Were you (laughs) playing mostly covers or some originals or?
0: Cover tunes, yes. A lot of James Brown, a lot of, uh, you know, R&B things. sam and dave uh, all kinds of stuff back in the day but it was mainly coverage
1: and who are some of the uh, groups that you sort of uh, idolized at that time besides like james brown which is an obvious influence but were there some others
0: well we had the pleasure of opening up for all the name acts of the day back in the early 70s and i mean you're talking sam and dave uh, you're talking the stylistics um Jimmy cast a bunch, uh, uh, just about anybody you can name, the Shy Lights, uh, the Five Stair Steps, uh, uh, everybody, because everybody played with the opening act to you know, warm the crowd up for the big show. So I
1: was Was there anyone in particular that just kind of blew you away?
0: Uh, well, the baddest band, and I tell everybody this, one of the baddest bands that I remember was a local group called Willie Feaster and the Mighty Magnificence, featuring Skip, Sonny, and the Pace brothers. They were about the baddest band out in Queens, New York in those days. And they had a couple of records out, Make Me Your Slave, uh, the Funky Acorn, uh, which was very popular. They went on to actually record the moments and all those uh, um, singing groups uh, back out of Jersey with the all platinum uh, label and uh, they were my idols at that time because I never saw a band as bad as that.
1: Wow (laughs) and they get to live on because you get to actually mention this group that probably not many people would know of right now.
0: Well in Queens they know it. You better believe that.
1: Local Uh, legend.
0: Yes they, they, they are local legend without a doubt. And I, I'm friends with a lot of the guys now. Willie Feastig still is still alive. Um, he's on, but guy new talent. He he knew how to how to put stuff together, and he was blessed with wonderful musicians.
1: So, um, you know, I've had some guys on, on the show, and from that area of Jamaica Queens, and it's such a rich melting pot of incredible uh, music. You know, I mean, such a rich area of the country that especially jazz and funk, and do you have any theories about why that area in Queens is just such an incredible musical hotbed?
0: Well, a lot of your famous jazz musicians moved out there. And uh, a lot of the younger musicians uh, were able to study under, under these guys. And they, they focus more in jazz sort of thing. Whereas in Brooklyn, uh, it was raw, you know, guys learn how to play they learned a lot on their own, they're self taught, and a lot of them. Um, we traded a, a, a lot of uh things uh, to do. Like, for example, I learned how to growl, you know, from an older guy who taught me how to growl into the sack. I learned circular breathing, uh, talking to a lot of the old. And, um, I used to hang in queens a little bit, I was scared to death because <laughs> first thing they asked you was, Who did you study with? and I didn't. I just to study with anybody. I, I, I mean, I studied in school. A lot of my basic music theory and things came from school. And uh, I learned how to read, as I stayed in junior high school. So the rest was books. My books, I learned a lot on my own. I practiced a lot with the guys in my band. We were very, very, very tight. Uh, Soul Image, that was the first big band that I was with. And we had a big horn line, nice rhythm section. And we had two singers we had a big show band, and, uh, you know, I've got pictures of, uh, of the band, uh, but uh, that ultimately, you know, the big, big difference, even in the music, Brooklyn music is funky, it's groovy, it's raw, you know, uh, Queens it is a little bit more refined, they've got jazz sort of changes, um, how they vamp their chords are more jazz oriented, uh, as opposed to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, I believe more Brooklyn bands were on the chart in Queens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think especially in the early and mid seventies. Um...
0: Yes, and I'm not type at Queens. So guys, if you see this, uh, don't take it personal. But we were raw and funky. I mean, come on. You had groups like Brass Instruction, Express uh, you know, come on, list goes on and on, Mandrill, uh, Crown Heights Affair, Made USA, Strikers. I mean, come on, uh, the list goes on and on. And I, I, in the 70s and 80s, we did rule more so over the Queen's position.
1: So uh, Daryl, what was the first time that you ever got into a studio? Was it with Crown Heights Affair or did you get in a studio before then?
0: Uh, I had a couple of early attempts, but no. My, my actual recording experience Started with Crown Heights Affair because we did a lot of stuff and um, we were able to hone our craft. And, and uh, I would like to say that even though I did leave the group, um, I recorded every Crown Heights album. I, I'm known for my horn arrangements. Me and the guys got along, we were friends. I just wanted to go into a slightly different direction. And uh, so I left the group and I started my band.
1: What, what year did you get with Crown Heights?
0: Um, early seventies, seventy-two, seventy-three. Uh, our first album was on RCA. and I would believe that was seventy-four, seventy-five, something around. There.
1: And how did you con- <laughs> how did you connect with those guys initially?
0: Well, Anderson knew me because you know the William band leader, and when they decided that they wanted horns in the group, you know my name came up. You know a lot of guys in the area, and. Uh, I, I went down and see what was going on. And I kinda like what I saw, you know. And I said, yeah, right, that you know, at that point my other group was sort of breaking up. So I said, Well, let me go ahead and I like two other guys, uh, particularly Anderson. Anderson's always been a hard working guy and uh, you know, very loyal. Mm-hmm. That's-
1: what was the uh, vision for the group at that point, you know, and in the, in the first album and, and, you know, in terms of the sound and the presentation and the ambition and all that?
0: Well, we actually wanted to do a little bit of everything. Um, to me, um, my very, very favorite Crown Heights album is the very first album on RCA. And, and I say that because it was a lot more versatile. I mean, we did country. We, we we did funk. We did stuff that that was gonna um, act uh, emulate what everybody was about. Our original lead singer was Julius Dilligard. He also was one of the baddest trombone players. Now I'm talking the original band, okay? Uh, Julius. Uh, we had another guy, Stan Johnson, which was our original keyboard player. He was classically the, the guy played in church, he played organ uh, as well as piano. And, you know, He was very, 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 very versatile. He actually brought the synthesizer into our music. And we have a little bit of that on the first album because synths were starting you know, to, to come in there. Uh, we had Arnold Wilson on bass. Uh, he didn't start out as a great bass player because I remember uh, before when they were every rhythm section, I used to go to their rehearsal sometimes, and I would tell him, hey, man, when are you going to learn how to play bass? You know? And he said he never forgot that. Next time I saw him, he was one of the baddest guys in the neighborhood. Um,
1: you lit a fire under him.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> Ray Rock, drummer. I'm, you know, I'm talking the original band. Uh, Ray Rock was 15, 16 years old, kicking the heck out of those drums. Uh, and, of course, Anderson's always been a, a very competent guitar player. He did one of his baddest uh, rock guitar solos on the very first album. Um, uh, Bert Reed, who later went on to become a producer himself, played tenor. Uh, Bert was young too, he was 16 years old. Um, I had to go talk to his mother to to allow him to come into the band years ago. He, He and I were in the same band, Soul Image, when he was 15 years old. So, um, you know, there's a lot of history there. Um, and of course, the, the the band evolved, you know, brought in guys like Howie Young on keyboards, Phil Thomas on lead, lead vocals, and also Skip Boardley on lead vocals. for Now, I knew Skip Boardley from back in the Cheetah days. He, he was brought up to New York by Willie Feaster, the same guy at Willie Feaster, the Mighty Magnificent. Yeah, to the name them from Willie Fiesta and the Mighty Magnificence to Willie Fiesta and the Concrete Wall. Boydley was responsible for bringing Ajax, the trumpet player, from Delaware up to New York. I saw them the first night they set foot in New York City because of, they came to the cheetah, and as I told you, my band was the house. So all of these eventually. Um, migrated to Brown Heights. And uh, the original sound of Brown Heights was four horns, not three, it was alto, tenor, trombone and trumpet. But when you saw them on stage, there was only three horns. Uh, Why the album sounds so different, the whole key, and, and yeah, I'm not bragging, but we had four horns, the alto and tenor, phone and trumpet is what gave Brown Heights their signature sound. And the sound of the horns actually started from the very first Crown Heights album on RCA. Um, I stumbled uh, across uh, a certain voicing, and um, I just built on it, I built on it, built on it. And uh, i evolved into Crown Heights horns now.
1: That first album, so it was 1974, self-titled album, and... Um... It struck me as, you know, in the terms of the sound, sort of like a cool in the gang meets like Sound of Philadelphia kind of vibe.
0: Well, um, again, it showed the versatility because we we had country songs. We, we, we actually had a real live country song with, with uh, you know, the, the country uh, the guitar and all that on it with strings, we added strings. Um, we wanted to stretch out and just. Do- all bases, because we all loved all different types of music. So we just didn't want to be a funk band or whatever, you know. And and I think that really stands out for those of you that have never heard the very first Heights album. Look it up, and you see what I'm talking about. And it, it was funk stuff. You could see where the band was eventually go on that first album. And uh, again, uh, we all sang. You know, we. we where we got our harmonies together and everything and we just
1: wanted to do our thing the musicianship is undeniable i mean it's such great punchy horn-driven soul and all the other genres like you're mentioning and um how you know it didn't chart all that well compared to what would come next you know how did the group feel about the reception and how it went
0: well we were disappointed of course uh people that saw us live man loved I mean, um, the first time we went to the Apollo, we went there, we did this big, big show with the Commodores on the show. Commodores had that machine gun wrecked out. They came in there thinking they were like really, really hot stuff. And uh, again, I'm not bragging, I'm just giving fact. We blew them off the stage. And um, to the point that there was a write-up in the New York newspaper. That talked about the righteous blast of horns from Brown Heights coming from the Apollo stage, and uh, we always did great at the Apollo. So, and and you know, if you know anything about New York, if you can't conquer the Apollo stage, forget New York City. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, the Commodores I think only had like two horns, right? So, I mean, they were outgunned.
0: Yeah, yeah, but. but <laughs> They couldn't play like we did. And we were stepping and everything. We actually opened up the Apollo doing, doing a, um, a uh, 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 Tower of Power song. Yeah, blew everybody away. Um, we, we all had love for that horns, you know, Chicago, that's right. And I mean, we were all into all, all that type of music as a band. So we were doing songs by the Doobie Brothers. I mean, we were doing all types of stuff. When you saw us live, totally different from the album. So, you know, as, as we recorded more, of course, we had to work in more of our you know, material and shows.
1: How much did you guys rehearse? And I mean, did you really ha- have a lot of camaraderie and like a brotherhood within the group? Or
0: We rehearsed just about every day. You know I mean, that was our job, um, was to rehearse. And I tell people today, that's one thing that's lacking, in, in those that call themselves bands today they don't rehearse and the, the more you do it the better you're going to get come on we love to rehearse we love we rehearse three four times a week
1: did and you we guys did. do any chor- choreography or more just playing
0: oh so we did both you kidding me yeah <laughs> we're known for the steps and everything of course we 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 we, we were a show we, we gave you a show. We just didn't stand there and play. we and step in, singing and putting the horns down, doing all kind of stuff. So we, we were just having fun, and uh, you you could hear that in, in a, a lot of the, the music. You know, things, songs like "Do It the French Way." You know, we had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, we learned a lot from our producers. Um, they weren't musician musician type people. But what they did, they they sort of kept us grounded and, and um, brought a lot of things to us, like putting together arrangements, doing this two times, doing this four times, you know, stuff like that. Together, it, it was like a good working situation.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you do some of the horn arrangements, or how did those come I, out? I
0: did, I did just about all the horn arrangements. And that's what you know, Daryl Gibbs
1: was That's crucial. You know, I think a lot of people underestimate or undercredit arranging.
0: And what I didn't arrange, I, I would voice, you know, because I had the sound. I knew how to voice the horn, because as I said, that evolved from the very first album and uh, it's very easy to do that same formula again and again. Uh, Brown Heights horns don't sound like anyone else. We, we had our own sound, just like Rural Gang had their sound. You know, Chicago had their sound. Brown Heights has an undeniable Brooklyn sound, without a doubt.
1: The next record, Dreaming a Dream, would be the biggest hit in terms of chart success and probably Airplay too. What do you think was uh, different, you know, that Help that be so successful?
0: Well, first of all, that song, we worked on that song and changed that song around so many times it got me personally. <laughs> we got tired of that. We, we, we were going to do different versions, different versions. Uh, but again, um, when you work on something hard and long and consistent, it's got to come out good. Um, we were very thrilled with that. Um, our first record did pretty locally, Super Odd, you know, which was our very first single. And it did great like in the tri-state area and stuff like that. It, it got us a lot of work, but Dreamin' a Dream took it into the strategy. Uh, that got us some dance charts, disco charts, all of this. Stuff. And um, a lot of people say to them, that's their favorite Friday night song.
1: And the the record actually had two versions, with vocals and without, and, um, you know, you guys started doing TV appearances, and how did it, like, change your life?
0: Um, Of course it did change. Uh, uh, We were no longer can be hidden. (laughs) You walked down the street, hey, the guys are Crown Heights, and it was very, very for all the guys, and even after I left the group, I you know, I I was a staunch supporter, and as I said, I recorded every Crown Heights album. So um, even though my picture disappeared from off the front of the cover, um, my name um, appeared in credits uh, in the album. And that led me to get other production things, other amazing work, and, uh, which led to where, to where I am now.
1: I want to mention on that record, though, some of the other tracks that I really like, too, were um, I Am Me um, and uh, Every Beat of My Heart. Um, Well, actually, that was a single, too, but Foxy is on that record also. Um, But I Am Me, that's, you know, got some funk intensity to it. Well, that
0: was written by Bert Reed, who later went on to do uh, Demroy Morgan. He did the Jamaica Girls. He did the... He even had singles on his cell. And I was very, 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 very proud of Bert. I've known since he was 15 years old. and I had to actually sit and talk to his mother in the kitchen for for her to allow him to join the band, you know? And this was pre-Crown Heights, but you know, um, and now by him to evolve into a hot producer, songwriter, um, Bert wrote that I Am Me, so that's a very, very good. That's one thing. The, the longer you do albums, everybody gets a shot, right? You know. did,
1: did the group feel pressure after that to come back and match that success?
0: Um, not really. no. No. We just did what we do. I mean that, that, that's it. A musician makes music, and that's what we did. No, we didn't really feel the music pressure. Uh, after dreaming the dream, things started rolling right along, you know, after that, so you know, and then every beat in my heart was a, was a big hit to it. So, uh, yeah. yeah,
1: do it your way. Uh, and you were showing some of the CDs before we came on air that you had there, uh, but that cover, you know, when I grew up, when I came up, that's one of the ones that I remember seeing the most in the record bins when I would flip through, uh, I maybe it stood out more to me because of what the cover is, but uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but another solid record. I mean, dancing um, is sort of like cool in the gang meets like shaft kind of vibe. Yes, you know, uh, and um, yeah. music is the world. I, I can hear like a
0: well, I wrote music is the world.
1: Yeah, I can feel like you know that definitely shares the kind of regional flavor of like brass construction. Type of thing too, you know. I feel that
0: that record was, was really solidified the sound of Fraunheim's horns. That's when I discovered the voicing, um, you know, recipe, you know, and I started using that same type of voicing on all the other songs. Uh, things like Dream World, for example. That's one of my favorite songs, didn't get a lot of play. Uh, but uh, when you listen to the sound of the horns on that, wow. Uh, music of the world started that whole really ground sound
1: yeah and so for viewers uh, know Dream worlds on the next record which uh, is the title track 78 um, another eye-catching cover uh, that one was and uh, that one also had Say A Prayer For Two which I felt was a little like Roy, Roy Ayers-ish kind of vibe going on on that one
0: well that featured the vocal stylings of Skip, Boardley, uh from, uh, you know, hometown of Wilmington, Delaware. Him and Ajax were very good friends. Uh, James Ajax, Baynard, trumpet uh, Place. They both came to New York together. And um, Skip had got Ajax into Willie Feast's band. Ajax got Skip in the Crown Heights. And uh, incidentally, I was the one that brought Ajax into the picture, because I knew Ajax you know, for years, and we needed a trumpet player. Um, our original trumpet player was Tyrone Cox, and he still do records and, and uh, gigs with Kronheik uh, to this day. And uh, Tyrone and I go way, way, way back. And, uh, he started out, he was a trumpet player on the very first single of Heights did.
1: At that, at that point, was the group going out, you know, like on funk fests or more like their own, uh, you know, what type of shows and tours were they doing?
0: Um, well, it, it, as always, we started out, you know, locally and everything, but after dreaming and dreaming you know, the group was on American Bandstand, I mean, you know, TV shows, uh, overseas, uh, the group went to Africa, I mean, France, I mean, you know, uh, Everything just took off, just like a rocket, you know. And uh, that's what a hit record does. And that's what uh, a well, uh, well-oiled machine. Um, live crowds was, you know, a good group, very entertaining. Uh, step in, singing, playing horns, you know. And when, when we had added two vocalists, we had two of the baddest lead vocalists around between uh, Phil Thomas. And Skip Bordley Jr. Uh, I'm still working with Skip Bordley Jr. right now. we so uh, it's a long, long friendship, and I'm still very close with uh, William Anderson. Um, well, I guess we'll get to that at some point, but yeah, we, <laughs> as we go down. But uh, me and Anderson are still very good friends today.
1: Outstanding. Um... So you talked about kind of blowing the comers off the stage earlier on, but as the later seventies came on uh, and and you maybe were doing some shows, I'm guessing with like brass constructions or confunctions or cameo and people like that. uh, Was there anybody that impressed you? Is there any like rivalry that developed or?
0: No, not really. I mean, we weren't that that much into rivalries. I mean, yeah, guys from Brooklyn, we all hang out. I mean, you know, we're, and I'm, I'm good friends from brass construction to this day. Um, again, I guess we'll get to that at some point. But the saxophone player did a uh, solo on, on one of my current projects that I have now. Uh, but uh, nah, nah, it wasn't said so much about that. We just did our thing, man. It was a camaraderie sort of thing. No real rivalry. Uh, I will admit that at, at some point well, and the gang didn't like to go on on, on stage with groups like Crown Heights and stuff like that. Uh, but um, yeah, I won't talk much about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just we just had fun.
1: Did uh, you go on Soul Train? Was that one of the shows? Yeah,
0: Soul Train. How how was that for I, you?
1: Was that was that a thrill?
0: Crown Heights was, was great. Uh, unfortunately, I had left the band by then. Oh. But I had left the band by then, but. I was working with them in the studio and and the studio is where it all starts. But no, I felt very, very proud. And even shows um, because they had trimmed the group down to three homes, Brown Heights in the studio was four. And that that gave them a big advantage, uh, studio-wise. And of course, studio and live are two different things. Uh, Even though you try to emulate that live, that studio from the studio is kind of hard to really replicate what you do in the studio guys did very well, and uh, I'm proud of each and every one. And uh, I do like to add that uh, currently Crown Heights, uh, Horn Line, they've all, you know, passed on um, James Ajax, and he's passed, Bert Reed has passed, and Raymond Reed, the trumbull he's gone now as well. So, other guys, guys like L.A. Blacksmith, you know, guys like uh, you know, uh, Tyrone Cox is still there um guys like uh Vernon jeffrey smith tenor player he recorded a lot with brown Eyes in, in the past too him and i both uh did recording with Brownites. so um you know now um guys are currently working on a new song right now um we did a song about a year and a half ago called mary mary and uh, you know, i helped uh i uh, also did the horn arrangements on that me and tyron cox so um brown height spirit is alive even today
1: so you continued uh to work with them in the studio when they did sure shot and into those. I
0: played on every brown heights album in
1: existence well that album um i'm going to mention all the albums because viewers uh you know are fans of these things and there's some great music on them but uh definitely uh became more synthesizer based That's i would true. say with that one
0: but well uh, yeah what that's when howie young came in and how he was doing a lot of synthesizer a lot of uh you know bass synthesizer stuff strings you know yeah a lot of that i have to attribute to howie young
1: um sure shot the title track um to me it was sort of like a heatwave-ish kind of vibe, you know, I felt like on, on that track, which is not a bad thing, so.
0: Well, anything that is reminiscent of something hot, it's hot, so, you know, uh, we were versatile enough, I mean, we could uh, uh, emulate other, other, other people, other sounds, I mean, but you get that way doing top 40 for years and years, you know, but you, you, you want to sound as close as you can to the record. And I guess uh, a lot of that stuff did spill over into our studio uh, productions as well.
1: Um, and actually, there's a rap too uh, on that record. First uh, sign of rap with Crown uh, Heights over.
0: Well, think positive. That goes <laughs> even before that. Think positive. And that was uh, our um, a role manager. Well, he was role manager in those days before he became manager. Donnie Linton. That was his brother. He brought his brother in the rap on Think Positive. And, um, you know, and then the guys, we all got into We had a great time at that song, Think Positive. So, yeah, we acknowledge rap as well. We were in the rap group. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it became a little more prominent as time went on. Think Positive uh, actually had a picture of all the guys on the cover, which was unusual. Um, and, uh, That record was more conventional, more vocal oriented uh, album.
0: And and it was gimmicky too. But then Do It the French Way was gimmicky as well. Do It the French Way. I used to like that song as well. Uh, We used to laugh every time.
1: Do you remember the track I Got Something For You? Oh, yes. That's very, I I feel like a Rick James kind of influence on that one.
0: Well, music changes. I mean, you struck gold. we had, had like a Gap Band, people say, like a Gap Band sort of feel, you know, strut gold, all that. Right. Yeah, we like to show people that we can do any type of music. And uh, Crown Heights was that type of group that we can emulate funk, we can in, emulate little jazz. Well, we're not a lot of jazz, but, but R&B.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the sound was definitely changing with the times, I felt like a definite Solar Records kind of vibe influence with like Lakeside and Whispers and all that kind of stuff that was happening at the time uh, that Crown Heights was trying to keep up with that, I guess.
0: Well, you know, music does, does change and, you know, if you want to stay out there, you've got to try to change a little bit with it. Uh, only, um, you know, sort of nail down your own niche. And, uh, and I think that's what
1: Brown Heinz did. Still very danceable, though, you know, and um, um, good party record. But do you think it was mostly uh, internally generated that the group wanted to move in those directions, or was the label putting some pressure on? Uh,
0: no, I think it's more the group. Uh, um, record labels don't really care as, as long as the people like it and the sell, then, you know, they get uh, positive feedback. No, uh, no, nah, nah, because they, there was never no competition between Crown Heights and Cool and the Gang. And we were on the same label. So, so you, you know, Cool did their thing, Crown Heights did theirs. But um, it, it was a, a good thing. Both groups had uh, both groups had to sing, you know, had a lead singer. when Cool and the Gang got JT. And, uh, you know, we were, we were friends with Cool and We were labeled. So, you know. Uh, we're too busy worrying about our own thing to worry about them, and the same thing with them. You know, they do their thing. Cool the Gang is one of the greatest groups of all time. They're still out there now. Come on, you know.
1: So. Yeah, they did what they had to do. Although I prefer the earlier Cool and the Gang, but uh, that's just me. So I, I move more toward the the funk, you know, than the pop. Yeah. Um, Struck Old came out in '83. And um, that one really went in more of an electro funk kind of, you know, like the the way the midnight stars and things were going. The sound definitely got more electro, uh, less horns, more synthesizer, more uh, program drums. Yes. yes, yeah.
0: And again, you, you you have to sort of alter things around, you know, to, to sort of blend in with what's happening at that time. Um, at that point, uh, Skip Warley Jr uh it took over a lot of, of the writing and uh, he wrote Best Struck along with a few of the other guys. So, um, a lot of that influence is because of songwriters and, and Skip Borley, even right now. Skip Borley's got a current project out right now, solo. So, uh, yeah. And uh, a lot of that we learned from the time and time, and time again in the studio. Every time you go in the studio, you learn something. And uh, hopefully, we still can, you know, bring the hits like we did before. Well,
1: that turned out to be the final Crown Heights album. Um, why why did that end up being the last one? Do you think?
0: Well, you know, as with uh, you know relationships, uh, they come to an end sometimes. Uh, we're just like an old girlfriend, you know, you're, you're, you're riding high, everything's cool and groovy. Suddenly things... Um, the live records at that point, you know, they, they sold out, uh, you know. Uh, a, a lot of things happened uh, that just changed, you know, the, the whole, uh, the, you know, direction. So the, when they looked at Mercury and all of that, uh, politics,
1: you know things happen It's over. yeah so 83 and and uh but stepping back a little bit uh towards some of the stuff you were doing uh when you went out on your own and i mentioned in the intro some of those groups that you also had worked with uh made in usa was one group that was uh in the mid-70s right why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was okay well uh,
0: 1977 uh uh, I formed Made in USA, me along with Charles Morais, the keyboard player. Uh, we had Skip Boardley, no, not Skip Boardley, Skip Slaughter on bass. We had Ruben Faison on guitar. We, we had a female vocalist named Jan Harrison, and uh, she was uh, she was friends with Phil Thomas they, and Donnie Linton, they all went to Howard University together, and uh, he brought Jan to us. We had her in the group. And we had uh, Kevin McNeil, uh, Kevin Hood, uh, AKA Kevin McNeil on Sax. What we did, Brown Heights returned the favor because their horn play came in the studio and filled us up. Now, instead of four horns, we had five horns in the studio. So, all the horns that you hear on the Made in USA uh, album is actually Brown Heights Affair Horn, myself, and Kevin McNeil. So it was even a bigger, better sound. You know? And then and of course we had uh, we had the song out melodies. Tra la la la, I hear a melody. And Jan did a very good job uh, for that. And we had that uh, Shake Your Body, which was another uh, uh, song. That group eventually evolved into the Strikers because myself, Ruben Faison, on- Slaughter on bass, and Charles Moraes and I co-wrote the song Body Music. Um, At that point, Charlie was going somewhere else, but Charlie did the studio work with us, and that evolved into the group Strikers with the hit Body Music.
1: The the Made in USA, though, uh, Darrell, what was the vision for that? I mean, it was sort of like a configuration similar to BT Express, right, with the one female... And the big group at the horns.
0: Well, we had two live, we only had two horns. We had alto and tenor, just like BT Express. Um, good you say that because uh ultimately it was uh I guess a different version of a BT Express, yeah. and we used to do uh a lot of live shows with just two horns, just like BT. Uh at, at one point we were packaged on, on uh on a tour with Crown Heinz. And Ajax, the trumpet player, actually would moonlight with us sometimes. Now you, you're talking about a guy with strength. he'd do a set with us, go backstage, change it to his Crown Heights house, and come out and do another show with Crown Heights, and physically able to do that. So um, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun with that. Um, why do you
1: why do you think made in USA only did the one album and kind of, you know?
0: Well, we, we, we had issues with management and, and things of that nature. So we, we decided to leave that. And, and, and the group eventually split up. And that's how the Strikers came came into the game. So, uh,
1: But this, the striker I, I'm looking at the years. You know, Strikers album came out four years later. So a lot of time kind of elapsed, right? Or what, what took place in those four years?
0: Well, I started doing, doing production work. Um, I, did, I did a lot of gigs, um, I, I did studio session work. Uh, I stayed busy, I stayed busy as much as I can. Um, to uh, Strikers, we had, a, we had a band called the um, uh, the Empire City Band, no, Empire State Band. And we did a lot of clubs, and, you know, doing cover songs and stuff like that. I did what I had to do to survive. And um, there were a lot of clubs still open in those days. And, that a lot of work
1: what was your uh, your mindset in terms of you know uh doing disco versus doing dance versus doing funk versus soul because as a disco craze you know obviously then
0: well to me it's all dance and if the dance the thing that's hot right now is disco then disco is it when the funk thing came in then we do funk. so uh and the same thing with ballads uh, I had improved on my singing. I, I worked on a lot of different things. I was doing I was doing session work, even singing background vocals, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, you have to um, you know adapt in this kind of business if you want to be around. And, and that's what you know I was fortunate to do Even the guys around me were that. Crown not started out as singing. They started out as hall plays. but we learned how to sing, we worked on it, we practiced it. And we got it right. And you take it and expand on it and do what you need to do uh, for survival. And that's what we did. And that's what I did. I uh, was very, very fortunate with Body Music that came out and I got to do the album. So I got to, to produce the album. That later opened more doors. Uh, Zynga, Washington. We, we ended up with our own custom label, My Dis Records, distributed by CBS. And that was good. That was a nice piece of change in our pockets. And also, life got a lot better in those days. uh,
1: The Strikers only ended up doing the one album also, though.
0: Um, Yeah. What happened, Prelude Records ended up selling out to Unity up in Canada. I guess Marvin Schlachter at that point decided he didn't want to be in the business anymore. And he, he had all the dance hits. All of them came from Prater. That whole Prater thing. I'm you know. um, just because that, that puts me down in dance music history. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, elected into the Legends of Finance, Artist Hall of Fame. And that's you know built up by all the you know all the DJs Well, you know. And I was very very you know thrilled about that induction last year. I was uh, personally inducted for Brown Heights Made in the USA and the Strikers. Very humble.
1: Congratulations on that. I mean, it was really strong dance music, the Strikers, <laughs> for sure.
0: Well, it still happened. I, redid, uh, I have a current remake, a house music version of Body Music out right now uh, by the Bushwick Alliance. Body Music, yeah. It's, it's more like a, a clubhouse version. And it's with a female, uh, Miss Lori West, is singing on it. And uh, doing body music with a girl, we give you a totally different uh, play. And currently right now, what I'm doing now, you can see the hat, I'm I'm vice president of Treasure Rock Records. It's a, a label that myself and Neville McLaughlin, AKA Tony Mack, we started, uh, out of Philadelphia. And we, we have a current single, um, an inspirational single by Mac and Gibbs. Uh, it's called By Your Side. And, um, that just came out. Uh, we, we have the video up on YouTube, Mac and Gibbs, By Your Side. And we also have the um, hip hop legend, Sherry Sherry. that record on her. Uh, that's currently out now. Um, Treasure Ross Records. We did do a project on Crown Heights Affair, Mary Mary. That's also all on Spotify. So, uh, check it out.
1: And, um, Is there a web- website for the label as well? Or just uh, go to uh, the yeah, streaming services? Yeah,
0: yes. We, we have a playlist um, on YouTube. The Treasure Ross Records playlist. It's got all the artists on it. And uh, check it out. And uh, treasurerossrecords.com is the is website. Of course, I've got uh, four different Facebook pages. Daryl Gibbs, Daryl Oleo Gibbs. My nickname for back in the early part of my career, they called me Oleo. You know, um, started out as a joke because James Brown had Mazio and someone <laughs> said, you could be Oleo. And everybody's. Oh, yeah. so i just let it stay we also have a um a group page called rocks the beat r-o-x-x the beat and the, the official fan page for their and that's also on facebook you know i talk about everybody Brown Hives, uh, you know so everybody i'm involved with and out there.
1: well it's great that you're keeping that alive and isn't it interesting Daryl, how cyclical the music is in a way, and that you know there was disco then, then it was became like club music, then house, electronic dance music, you know. But it's really all about making bodies move, you know, and have a good time.
0: Well, that that's one thing that we tried to do with Chronic Fair, and I still try to do today, dance music. I mean, people, you know, want to get up on that floor and. They- themselves and give them something to dance to. I mean, if you do dance music, that's safe. It's safe and, and it's it's worldwide. And and you know, like you said, it morphs. Disco became house. I mean, you know, I mean, now the the funk is the funk wave movement. That's what I call it. The funk wave movement and funk is going to be around, no doubt. And uh, you know, people that still people our age people even younger uh, that are now exposed to funk and even disco and, and they like it. So um, keep making the people dance. That's my number one uh, goal in life. I've always done dances. I've never made a dime playing jazz. Not me. So, I this beyond dreaming a dream and the group, uh, um, you know, what we accomplish as a band. Uh, a lot of uh, Crown Heights evolved into production and uh, spreading out with other artists. People like Empress Dying to Be Dancing, another Crown Heights project. And, and I, because it, you know, the guys involved in the production were all Crown Heights people. Ray Rock, who did, who did stuff. He had the Project Rocket, the you know, drummer for Crown Heights. Uh, uh, Bill Thomas that stuff. Skip Boardley Jr. right now has uh, uh, solo projects out right now that's very, very good.
1: Darrell, what are you most proud of in your music career?
0: Um, I would say, first of all, to still be able to do it today and to still have love and respect for it. And um, a lot of people have come to me and said how, oh, you know, I've touched this period you know, because they love my music and, and, you know, you you can't pay for that. And um, to be able to pass it on, you know, after all these years, I started when I was 16 years old, a teenager. Uh, Needless to say, I'm a little older than being a teenager today, but I still have the love for it. I enjoy what I do and I'm still having fun. Um, My granddaughter called me two weeks ago when we released our by uh, your son uh mack and gibbs she called me about eight o'clock on sunday morning and said grandpa i just saw your song on youtube and i loved it and she's like in her 20s and i'm like wow you know, i wasn't expecting that and you know to be able to you know, give and give and give it's just wonderful and um, i just want to be remembered by I just the music and, I respect those who do it because it's not easy, but the rewards are endless.
1: Hey, Daryl, thank you so much for sharing all those stories, a history, and uh, for all the great music too. Well,
0: thank you. And you know, I, I never would have met you if I wasn't doing this, you see? So, <laughs> so it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I said, like, I enjoy the music. I enjoy my favorite part about doing this It's meeting other people and having the opportunity to work with other artists, other musicians, uh, you know, to share ideas. Because that keeps me fresh and it keeps me going. So I just want to thank all those out there uh, who consider me a friend or or who know me or, or, you know, the fans out there who have supported me all these years. I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless each and every one of you.
1: Well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that. By subscribing to the Funk & Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth & Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying everything is on the One, The First guide to Funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. And as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one.